For those of you who are not always with us, our manner of study of these scriptures is that we study them verse by verse. We started some months back in the book of Luke, and we are now in chapter 6 of the book of Luke. And today we will be reading a portion of the scripture from chapter 6. If you'll recall, if you were here last week, the Lord Jesus had separated himself out into a secluded place on a mountain. And there he prayed all night to his Father, praying about the choices that he would make concerning the selection of his disciples. And when the day had come, Jesus had called his disciples to himself and had chosen from them 12 special men. You recall, Jesus had a lot more than 12 disciples. And he chose from that great number 12 special men. And he also named them apostles. And from there, we see that he and his disciples came down from the mountain and they immediately got to work doing the work that God had sent the Lord Jesus to do. As I've pondered these and other scriptures like them here in the gospel, and as I'm able to witness the passion and the intensity and the the commitment of the Lord Jesus and of his disciples, a question often comes to my mind. The question is, how committed, how passionate is my own faith? And I would ask the same of you. We're here in this church, and we're here for a purpose. But the question is, how passionate, how committed is your faith? How diligent am I, are you, when it comes to intentionally getting up from being in this church and going on out there and getting about the ministry that God has called each of us, you and me, to do as His disciples. I want you to listen to these words from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. And Jesus came down with His disciples, and He stood on a level place with a crowd of His disciples, and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear Him. And to be healed of their diseases, as well as some who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, to get up close to him and touch him, because power would go out from him and heal them. Isn't that an amazing thought? Now again, in these words, I want us to note that after Jesus had chosen those 12 special men to be his disciples, he immediately then came down from the mountain and he got about the work that God, his Father, had sent him to do. There's no mention here that Jesus was tired from a lack of sleep, having prayed all night, or needing in any way to stop and rest. He knew very well the plan that lay ahead of him. And he trusted that the strength of the Holy Spirit who dwelled within him would enable him to go on and get beyond any human frailty that he might encounter. Those words, by the way, in Zechariah 4, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And those words are for you and me, as well as the Lord Jesus. Jesus' response here was very much like the response that 
he would have on another occasion. You might recall on an occasion, his disciples asked him about being hungry. And Jesus said to them then, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He says, Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at those fields. They are already white for harvest. Now note the intensity again in these words. Jesus knew that the time was short and that the day of salvation was at hand. And he knew that if he was going to carry out the will of his Father, he would then need to be very intentional about every moment that lay in front of him. And Jesus' response should serve as special instruction and a warning to you and me. Something just came to my mind on how so often I'll sit around doing very little, killing time. You don't ever see that with the Lord Jesus. His response should serve as a special instruction to you and me. If we'll only look around us, folks, we can also see that the fields are white for harvest. And we dare not wait. We dare not wait. We need to get about it now. Why? It's because, listen, the lost are truly lost. And their condition is getting worse every day. And if they die in their sins, then they'll be lost eternally. Think about that for a moment. The reality of that truth came to me recently as I heard a person say about a friend of theirs who had been suffering really badly and had just died. And they said of their friend, oh, but now they're in a better place. Now they're in a better place. And as I heard those words, I immediately wondered if that person who died was truly a believing Christian. Because listen, if that person was not saved, they were not in a better place. They were not in a better place. In fact, their suffering that they had endured for however long in this life, it was now going to be magnified a thousandfold. That's the way that hell is. Their suffering would now never end. It'd be eternal with no relief, no relief at all. In this life, we can often go to the doctor and he'll give us a shot of some sort and it'll make our pain go away. That will not take place if that person goes into eternity and not be saved. That is utterly unthinkable. Let me say that again. Because we need to realize that the lost truly are lost. And the Lord Jesus tells us how we can know if someone is lost. He says, you will know them by their fruit. When you look at a fruit tree and you see rotted fruit on it, you know. If a person is truly lost, their condition is only going to get worse in this life. And when they die in their sin, they will be lost and suffering eternally. And whether or not you and I want to realize it, we have some responsibility for the future of other people's soul. Do you feel any responsibility for other people's souls? That warning was given to the prophet Ezekiel concerning the people of Israel. And it's also true, again, for you and me. Listen to these words. This is in Ezekiel 33. There God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. 
So hear the word that I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And if you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways, that wicked man will surely die for his sins. But I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn him to turn from his ways, and he still does not do so, he will die for his sins, but you will have saved yourself. These words given to the prophet Ezekiel were for him in his day, for his people. But also, folks, here in our scripture text in the book of Luke, we know that that same warning was being given to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man who was sent by God the Father to warn those wicked ones of His day. And then also, consequently from these scriptures, us in our day, saying, turn, turn from your sin or you will surely die. And folks, the Lord Jesus was diligent in giving that warning. But also for the Lord Jesus, He knew that the special work that He was called to do required that He suffer and die on the cross. And that meant that His work would soon be cut short, leaving so much more still yet to be done. And that's why He chose those twelve disciples, not only to be His disciples, but to make other disciples. And they came and joined Him to carry His work on forward. But as He chose those twelve disciples, that was only the beginning. As I mentioned He will call more and more. And He has been doing that all through these generations. That demanding impetus that He gave there in what's called the Great Commission, to go ye into all the world and to make more and more disciples. Folks, that has reached to you and to me. Those are words to you and to me. We're now the disciples that are to carry His message, His good news of salvation to every soul that will ever live with you and me producing more and more disciples that will produce more and more disciples. And you and I must respond to His call. The fields truly are white for harvest. There are people crying out every day. They're not crying out for the Lord, but they're crying out in their miseries and they need you and me to tell them the truth. Souls are suffering. And they're dying every day. And you and I are the sons of men that God has called and equipped to warn them. And you and I need to do as Jesus did and diligently then get on about completing the work that He began. How do I know that? Jesus told us that. Verbatim words, He said, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And also in Colossians Chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said essentially, he said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. You and I also are to fill up in our flesh that which is still lacking in the sufferings of Christ, in the work that Christ began. Jesus did not hesitate and neither did the Apostle Paul and neither should you and I. Jesus chose His disciples Then he came down from the mountain and he immediately got to work doing what his father had instructed him to do. So then we would ask, if we are to be about his work, 
What exactly is the work that the Lord Jesus began? The work that we are to carry on forward. He did several things right here in this scripture passage. We're told here that he healed the sick. That he cast out demons. And that he taught and he preached the good news of salvation. So then we would ask the question of ourselves. Am I? Are you? Are we called to be about the same exact purpose of God the Father? Preaching, teaching, even healing the sick, and even casting out demons. The answer to that question is clear from the words that I mentioned a moment ago. Jesus said, as He has sent me, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And no, you and I can't save another person's soul as Jesus could. But beyond that, beyond that, we are to be about much the very same will and purpose of God. And listen, He will surely equip us with every spiritual gift that it will take to carry forward His ministry. If we are to preach, He will equip us to preach. Folks, I don't make up these messages that I bring each week. If I had to do that, you wouldn't hear much. The Lord gives me these words to say to you. He will equip us to preach. And if we're to teach, He'll equip us with the skills, with the knowledge, with everything that it takes to teach. And yes, and for me, strangely so, there will be times when we'll participate in the healing of the sick, even the casting out of demons. And I know that even the thought of our doing those things can make us uncomfortable. And we really should guard ourselves carefully before we step into uncertain territory like that. But I do believe that such things, though they be on the fringe of the ministry that God has called us to do, they are still very much in keeping with God's truth as it's given here in these scriptures. As for our being teachers and preachers of this gospel... We need to always remind ourselves that the wisdom and the strength to carry out God's ministry must come directly and solely from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that He puts within us the moment that we're saved. And again, the Holy Spirit Himself will carefully befit each of us with the exact spiritual gifts that we'll need to do the work in front of us. We may not have those gifts today, But the moment that He says to us and we receive the call to go on out, He will equip us and we'll know what to do. And not everyone will have the spiritual gifts of teaching or preaching. But we need to be diligent to search out to see if perhaps we do have those particular gifts. But if we do not, we can do other things to help and to support those who are gifted in those ways. And there again, God's Spirit is faithful to properly equip us with the special spiritual gifts that we'll need to do our part. Spiritual gifts such as wisdom, knowledge, serving, giving, deeds of compassion. These are all spiritual gifts that are mentioned in Ephesians and also in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans. These are special gifts that come from the Holy Spirit to equip you and me to do God's work because you and I cannot do His work through our own wisdom and knowledge and understanding or our ability to speak in public or whatever that may be. 
And so He will equip us with spiritual gifts such as wisdom. You may not think that you have much wisdom, but if God wants to equip you with that gift, He will. And you'll know things that you never knew before. He'll equip you with knowledge, with serving. The Lord Jesus had so many, and especially women who would take care of all of the needs of the disciples in food and all those sorts of things. Housing. Deeds of compassion. How compassionate are you? He will give you a spiritual gift of compassion. Giving. Do you give much to the church, to other people? Or is your money yours? You worked hard for it, so you want to keep it. If God equips you with a spiritual gift of giving, you'll find money flowing out of your hands very quickly. And you'll enjoy doing it. Exhorting. Exhortation. As you sit across a table in a restaurant with a friend and they need spiritual advice on a matter. How to deal with their marriage that's crumbling or their relationships with other people. You can exhort them with Scripture, giving them the real truth of what they ought to do rather than just your own opinion. Exhortation is giving God's viewpoint on a matter and encouraging other people to follow it. And those gifts go on and on. God will equip you for anything that He calls you to do. All that God asks you and me to do is that we willingly open our hearts up to Him and then He'll do the rest. He will do the rest. Our part may be even some of the simplest things that we can imagine. One might be to attend a weekly Bible study. Do any of you all attend a Bible study during the week? Because by doing that, you are going to grow in knowledge and wisdom of the Lord. But you're also going to encourage others that are in those Bible studies. Perhaps you could even host a Bible study in your home. You don't have to teach it. I go to one Bible study where each one that attends, we take one chapter a week, I will do one, next person will do a chapter, next person. And so you don't have to be a wonderful teacher. God will equip you. Maybe God would have you become a mentor to a new believer. Do you know any new believers? Or do you know any believers that perhaps just have not moved on forward in their Christian walk. They need a mentor to disciple them. For about, I can't remember now, two or three years, a young man and I discipled each other. Every evening I would talk to him on the phone. And he would disciple me and I would disciple him. He always thought I was discipling him, but he was discipling me. That was my son in the back, back there. God wants you and me to disciple others, and to make more and more disciples. All that God asks us to do is to be willing to open up our hearts and to let Him guide our path. Are you willing to do that? Now next I'm going to talk about something that's uncomfortable for me even. But Jesus, as He preached and taught the people, He would heal sicknesses. And I confess I know very little about this form of ministry. I truly do wish that I knew more. But I am personally aware of some people that God has healed. And He has especially brought healing 
to my own body on more than one occasion. And I know that. So God is in the healing business. I don't fully know all of the ways that I'm to go about participating in that portion of the ministry of healing of people. But I do know what the scriptures teach us. And especially what God has to say here in the book of James. We're told there that if we're sick, we're to take the matter to the elders of our church. James 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he'll be forgiven. Folks, these are simple words. They are the pure and unsullied truth of God. And I believe that we should do this far more often than we do. Unfortunately, we, I, most often bypass the elders and I opt out for a quick trip to the doctor. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing to do. Doctors are often the instrument of God to dispense His grace and His mercy to you and to me. Just in the past few weeks, I have been to the eye doctor and had a cataract removed. And I believe that it was the right thing to do. But the question that we should ask ourselves is, are doctors the first and only remedy that we should choose? What is God's plan? What about some of the things that the Lord Jesus did? The simplicity of the laying on of hands for the healing of a person. Is that form of healing real? Is it effectual for you and for me? And especially now in our days, there are some very excellent Bible teachers that believe that this form of God's ministry was only to be done in Jesus' day. And that this spiritual gift of healing was no longer in effect. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with them. But because these scriptures do not specifically say that, and they do not specifically prohibit the laying on of hands for the healing of a person, I believe that it's the right thing for us to do. I've done this on many occasions. I've done it sometimes with the elders of the church. But I've also on many occasions, in a quiet and private way, most of the time without the other person even knowing that I'm doing it, I have laid hands on them asking God to heal them of their sickness or disease. And I did that in a simple hug. In a simple hug. And I've done that often. I might have done that with some of you. Have the people been healed of their sickness or their disease by my doing that? Sometimes, most of the time, I might not know. But as I ponder the matter, I've come to accept the simple truth that sometimes it is God's will to heal a person but also sometimes it's not. I believe that our calling is simply to obey the compulsion of the Holy Spirit within us. If we feel compelled to lay hands on a person and to pray for their healing, then you and I ought to do that. You and I ought to do that. And we don't have to make a public display of it. Just simply quietly hug them and pray for them. So, I don't know the answers to some of the questions that people have about healing. So I'll simply continue to do what the Holy Spirit compels my heart to do. And I'll leave the rest to God. Now this last matter is even more uncomfortable. The matter of casting out demons. Again the question, are we 
to also take part in the casting out of demons. As I have said to us often, and I'll continue to say, I am fully convinced that the demonic realm is still just as powerfully at work today as it was in Jesus' day. Why should we believe any differently when we have evidence so blatantly obvious all around us? This world is not doing what the human mind might conceive to do. It's doing things that are evil. Evil is taking place all around us. And folks, I am convinced that it's coming from the demonic world. They are active and they are powerful and they do what demons do. They're spoken about in John chapter 10 where he says they come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And they do that in the world around us. And they do that in our families. And they do that in you and me. In you and me. Here in the scriptures, the demons were described as unclean spirits. And we see their presence in so many places through these gospels. In these scriptures, we see where a man was in a synagogue and he was suddenly confronting Jesus with a demon within him, and Jesus cast that demon out. Or there was this Canaanite woman that had a little daughter that had a demon. There was a young boy who would throw himself into the fire and into the water. There was a man who was deaf and dumb. He could not speak, he could not hear, and it was because of a demon. And it goes on and on. Demons taking control of people and causing everything from physical problems to mental problems to emotional problems. Folks, these scriptures are telling us that demonic influence can manifest itself in so many, many different forms. And because of that, I'm fully convinced that some, perhaps many of the symptoms and behaviors that we in these days call physical or, or mental illness in this culture is demonic influence. How often do you hear of where someone will do a mass shooting and someone will say, well, they're insane. They have a mental illness. They're insane. That may be so. But I have no problem in believing that there is demonic influence. I personally have seen it so often in drug addiction where people cannot give up their drugs. They want to, but they keep going back. I have a good, good friend. She has problems with alcohol. She does so well most of the time. But then suddenly she'll fall right back into it and she'll be lost for a year or two. So then how are we again to participate in the casting out of demons? Do we do like the Catholic friends do with exorcisms? I would not recommend that at all. No. Jesus simply did the same thing that he did with healing. He laid hands upon a person. He prayed for them and the demons came out of them. I would suggest, folks, that for me, that's exactly what I would do. And I have done that. And again, we don't always have to make a public display of it. We can simply and quietly pray for God to bring them relief from whatever the cause might be. If it is physical or if it is mental or if it is demonic influence, we just need to ask God to take charge of it. And so let me just remind us then. What are we to do? What has God called us to do? If He has been sent to carry out the will of the Father, and we have been sent as He has been, then what are we to do? 
I want to remind us of something I mentioned a moment ago. I want to encourage each of us to be involved in a weekly Bible study. A weekly Bible study. And maybe, yes, host it even in your own home. Get someone else, one of the other members, to teach it. But get involved. I especially would encourage you to be a discipler, a mentor. If you have Christ as your Savior, you have something to say that other people need. So find someone that you can disciple and get about it. All God asks of us is to be willing. So let me close with these words. You and I are disciples of Christ, just as those twelve. And as His disciples, we are sons of God. Folks, that's a rare privilege. But He tells us so in several places in the New Testament that we are sons of God. And we daily live within God's kingdom. And as His sons, we have the responsibility that sons and daughters have over the territory and the kingdom of our Father. And as His sons and His daughters, we are commanded to get on out and get about doing the ministry that God, our Father, has prepared for us. And we need to do that today. And as Jesus said to His disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Let's pray.